Well, church, again, it's great to see you guys. Um, if you're new or first time in a long time, we started a new series back in the fall on the life of Jesus Christ from eternity past all the way to eternity still future. Uh, we're continuing that this morning. We've kind of moved into the teaching ministry of Jesus Christ, uh, specifically the parables, which are essentially the stories Jesus told from everyday uh, experiences around you that are communicating deep, complex spiritual realities to mixed groups of people. And so uh, the passage we're going to look at today is Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at verse 14 to 30. And if you have your Bibles, want to turn there today, you can. Uh, if you didn't bring it with you, I'm going to be throwing some of these passages up on the screen so it'll be easy for you to follow along with. But um, the parable we're going to look at today is going to be affectionately called the parable of the talents, which could be a little bit misleading because it's a little bit about more than just uh, your physical, natural talents and things of that nature. But if last week was offensive to the people that were very, very justice-oriented, then this week is going to be offensive to the people that are naturally risk-averse, Okay. So these are the people that kind of like, hey, I love playing it safe. I kind of love safety. And like, kinda, I like to know how things are going to end before I jump into something. It's the people that are sitting there going, well, I'm not, I'm not risk averse. I'm just uh, wise. Uh, I'm very responsible. And uh, I prefer living rather than dying. And so um, if that's kind of what's going on in your mind right there, it may be speaking to you. It's going to be hitting a lot of us kind of right where we are. Now, as I jump into that, how many of you would say, okay, that is definitely not me. I know I'm not that person. I'm the personality that's like, I love risk, right? I'll jump out of airplanes. I'll go, uh, I'll go running with the bulls. I'll do all of that kind of a thing. Um, and that you've kind of seen it in you since you're a kid. You can do this, right? You can see this in children. You can see it from the time that you're born. But a lot of us are kind of born in this way, like I love risk and challenges and things like that. You had a, a helmet on as a kid all the time because you were diving off the furniture everywhere you went when you're growing up. I have a friend whose kid does that, which is hilarious. But anyway, um, back when I was working at Pine Cove in the college years, uh, one of my, you, you saw this in students all the time. Um, I was working at uh, the ranch camp, which is junior high students. And one of my favorite activities to lead was the pamper pole. Now, how many of you guys, weird name, how many of you guys have uh, ever done a pamper pole before? You know, I think I got a picture up there. We can kind of see what we're talking about. Anybody guys done this before? Anyone want to guess why it's called a pamper pole? <laughs> right. You get to the top, and that's what you wish you were wearing. So um, anyway, so basically, you can see what's happening here. You got a ginormous pole in the middle of the woods. It's taller than trees. You climb to the top of it. You're harnessed in. You can look and see your house from there. I waved all your family in New Mexico. And, um, and then you get to the top of that pole, and you've got to jump from that pole and grab the trapeze. And the trapeze looks like it's a mile away. It's actually not a mile away. It looks and feels like it's a mile away. There's no one in their right mind that can actually grab that trapeze. But that's what you got to do. You stand up there on this tiny little platform on this pole. It's wobbling. The wind is blowing. And you got to jump out there and trust these ropes that they're going to save your life. Now, I love this thing because you can see the different personalities in play, right? Uh, there's some little kids, four years old, five years old, probably not that early. I don't think we were allowing that. But anyway, really, really little ones. I mean, they run up there like little monkeys. They're tied in, and they just run to the top of that thing. I mean, they jump in, and they just r jump off with reckless abandon, and they could care less, right? They, they love the adrenaline rush, and that is absolutely them. Uh, there's other people that are kind of going, okay, maybe they're peer pressured into it, or maybe they're kind of going, okay, this is my time to shine here. I'm going to break through all my fears, and, and I'm going to do this. And so they get to the top, and then, of course, they're stuck there for the next 20 or 30 minutes, right? And my, my favorite thing is, like, I get to try to talk them down and give them confidence to make that jump. All right, so that's, that's two of them. There's one more personality type, though. There's a third type. that They're back there sitting in the cabins. They're going, I could care less about the pamper pole, right? Like, I'm here to just hang out with my friends. I don't care about the adrenaline. I don't care about this, that, and the other. I just want to paint my nails. I want to shoot some hoops with the boys. I, I do not care about that kind of thing. And so they're the ones that are kind of sitting in the cabin going, like, I'm all good with risk. I love risk, but it kind of depends on what we're talking about here, right? 
Anybody else kind of in that same, that same camp over there? Like, it matters what you're talking about. They're like, I, I love risk, and, like, I'm great at engaging strangers, and, and I've even gone to, like, Jack in the Box on occasion, which, incredibly risky, by the way. Like, <laughs> like I've even done that sometimes, but, but, like, I'm not doing the skydiving deal. I'm not doing pamper pull. I'm not betting on the Cowboys anymore. And you're like, you're like there's some things that are just a little bit too far gone. Like, it matters what kind of risk we're talking about, right? Like, it matters, right? There's different types of risks. There's different things that you can risk, and there's different reasons why you may or may not want to engage in taking some sort of a risk. But the reason that I bring that up is because what Jesus is going to say in this parable is that if you and I never, ever, ever get comfortable with, in, with, with taking risks, if we are incapable of, of, uh, of engaging the kinds of risks that Jesus has called us to take, then we'll end up wasting away our lives and wasting the different opportunities that he's called us to take. And so it's a really, really heavy thing where he's saying, okay, this is a central part of the life that I've called you to live. And if you will never, ever engage in the kinds of risks that I'm calling you to take, then you're going to get to the end of your days and you're going to realize, hey, I've wasted the entire thing. I love the way John Piper wraps this up. Back in the early days, he wrote a book called Risk is Right, where he essentially summarizes the bottom line of this entire parable. And he says it like this. He says, the entire Christian life is a call to risk. You either live with risk or you will waste your life. Okay, and so that's what we're going to jump into today. So again, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 25, we're going to look at verses 14 through 30 right here. This is actually the second of three parables Jesus is going to be telling here. It's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus is speaking from the Mount of Olives here. Uh, it's on the subject of the end times. And so uh, it actually begins back in chapter 24, but disciples and people, they're coming to Jesus going, hey, Jesus, how's the whole thing going to end? And you know how you thought that this is a, a, a modern day kind of a thing where everybody wants to do a, a revelation series and figure out what everything means and how the whole thing's going to play out? Uh, this is happening back in Jesus' day. Chapter 24, Jesus, how are we going to know the thing's coming to an end? How are we going to know it's actually the end? Jesus gives a few responses, but essentially he's saying, stop putting up the billboards that predict the date. Right? Stop going to those conferences and stop saying, okay, it's going to be happening next Thursday and going out on a limb. Like, that's not the point. Stop doing those kinds of things. Instead, take all of that energy and start focusing on how to live now in light of the fact that it will end. Okay? And so that's what he's getting into here in these parables. This is going to be the second of three parables that he tells um, essentially to all that end. How to live now in light of the fact that Christ will return. He wasn't alluding to that at that point in time, but in light of the fact that it will end at some point in time. So, Verse 14, he picks it up and he says this. He says, again, it, meaning the kingdom of heaven. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man who is going on a journey, who called his servants, and he entrusted his wealth to them. Now, if you're a note taker, you want to circle that word entrust in your Bible, okay? And he says this. He says, he called his servants, he entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability, and then he went away on his journey. Now, how many of you guys have something other than the NIV you may be reading from King James, NAS, NET, something like that? Yours is going to be saying it's the parable of the talents, right? That's what it's going to be saying here. I'm grateful for the NIV's translation right here. Uh, they went with bags of gold there because that's literally what it's talking about. Um, uh, but growing up, I, you hear parable of the talents, and I'm kind of going, okay, uh, this is about, hey, the fact that I'm really, really fast or the fact that I'm strong, or these different natural gifts and talents that, that you may have. It's not what he's talking about here. Right? Talents are large sums of money, these bags of gold, if you will. Uh, talent, one talent, I believe, was equal to 6,000 
um, 6,000 denarii, which is essentially 20 years wages, okay? And so it's large sums of money, which is why NIV does bags of gold here. Um, but still, it's got a little bit of a double meaning here that can be a little bit confusing. And so very literally, Jesus is using the word talents here, which are actually money, in order to figuratively talk about everything that has been entrusted to you and me, which would include your natural talents, which would include your, all your wealth and your finances and things of that nature, but it would also specifically be relating to um, the spiritual gifts that God has given to you, all of your natural gifts, abilities, and resources, uh, maybe the different, um, um, your family, the different people that God has put into your life, the different platforms that he's given to you, maybe even your health, your wealth, maybe even past baggage that God has delivered you from over the course of your life. But essentially what he's saying is uh, he's talking about everything that you have. And what he's saying about that is that everything you have isn't actually yours. Okay, did you catch that? Like, what, that's what he's saying here. Like everything that you and I have is not actually yours. And so we may think like it's ours. And we may even talk like, hey, this is mine. This is my cookie. This is my house. This is my money. This is my body. This is my choice. This is my life. This is my definition of happiness that you're choosing, that you're, that you're messing with right here. So we may think and talk like that everything that I have right here is all mine. But what he's saying is that it's not actually all yours. It's why we circle the word entrust right here, right? Like there's a responsibility that comes when you and I have been entrusted with something that belongs to someone else, right? If your daughter's going on her first date and you're entrusting her to the care of this little boy coming to that front door, like he better believe that she doesn't belong to him. And you're going to make it abundantly clear, she is not yours to do whatever you want to do with. She better come back, and she's going to come back with a smile on her face, having a good time, being safe and secure, all these different kinds of things. Like, if you're a financial planner, and I've entrusted to you my finances and, and all this money here, the money that I give to you is still my money. I'm entrusting it into your care. Uh, you better believe that I'm going to come back again, and I'm going to demand that it comes back. I'm going to want that money back, and I'm going to see what you did with my money while I was away. And so it's exactly what Jesus is saying right here, like everything you have is not actually yours because it has been entrusted to you by God. And so let me ask you this question, church, like as we get going here, this foundational principle here in this parable here, when was the last time that you thought about everything that you have in that way? Like when was that last time that you actually did an inventory of everything that you have in your life? You're looking at your bank records uh, and you're kind of sitting here going, look at all this stuff that God has given to me but it's not actually mine. When was the last time that you looked at your spouse and you said, I know that she's my bride, but she is a daughter of the king of all kings, first and foremost. And she's not actually mine here. These kids over here, they're sons and daughters of the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. They're not actually mine. This house that I'm living in right here, like it's not actually mine. The God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the God who knew you while you were in your mother's womb, the God who numbered the hairs upon your head, the God who spoke the world into existence and everything that is was brought into being, that God entrusted the things that you have in your life into your care that you and I would be faithful stewards of those things and that it would come back and provide a return. Right, like when was the last time that you looked at all of those details in your life and, and stopped saying, this is mine, and you started recognizing in gratitude that those things have been generously given to you by the master and entrusted to you and put into your care for a purpose? I mean, it's exactly what Jesus is saying right here. 
Like, like everything that you have is not yours because it has been entrusted to you by the master. Like it'll change the way that you look at those things and it'll change the way that you live when you stop looking at these things going, mine, 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 yours, 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 yours. I mean, I'll never forget, I was walking through the White House one time. I was a freshman in high school. My cousin was doing an internship there. Um, and uh, we got to go take this tour and they gave us a bunch of things and kind of uh, that were there. And I remember kind of walking through, kind of feeling like I was on thin ice. I didn't want to touch anything. I didn't want to break anything. I'm like, this is the president of the United States right here. I'm not going to mess with this stuff. And I'm just quite, like, it, it takes on a whole new level of significance when you understand whose stuff this really is. And that is the foundational principle for everything that Jesus is going to be talking about right here. Everything that you have is not actually yours because it has been entrusted to you by the master who spoke and literally everything came into existence. And so he continues in verse 15 and he says this. He says, okay, to one person he gave five talents. To another person he gave two. To another he gave one. In other words, like we're not all getting the exact same thing. Are you okay with that? We better get okay with that because it's how it is, right? <laughs> like, it's just the, the reality is some people are five-talent people, some people are two-talent people, some people are one-talent people. And we're going to quickly discover, like, whichever category we are, number one, like, figuring that out isn't the whole point. And number two, how much we've been given isn't even the main point either. He's great at doing enormous things with very little that we have. Nevertheless, there is five talent, there is two talent, and there is one talent people. But here's what he says this. He says that he distributes each according to his ability. In other words, like LeBron gets more because he's LeBron and Dak gets more because he's Dak, right? No, it's not what he's talking about here, right? He's not talking about natural gifts and talents and stuff. What he's, the word for ability right here is the Greek word dunamis, which means ability, power, strength, or even miraculous types of power. It's the exact same word that Jesus uses in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, you will receive power, dunamis, ability. You will receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. In other words, church, uh, everything that you have is not actually yours because it has been entrusted to you by the great master according to your ability to be empowered or enabled by the Holy Spirit for the mission of God, that you would go and be his witnesses in Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Like that's what he's talking about here. So it's got nothing to do with LeBron getting more because he's got a sweet jump shot or anything like that. Like it's got everything to do with you and I uh, being a faithful steward of everything that has been entrusted to us. And so that's what's going on here in, verse, in this passage. Now, in verse 16, the, the five-talent guy is pretty pumped up. Now, it says this. It says that the man who received five bags of gold, I love this, it says that he went at once, and he put his money to work, and he gained five bags more. In other words, like, this joker's not sitting around waiting for life to happen to him. Like, he's not overthinking it. Uh, like immediately, he knows what he's been entrusted with. He knows what he's expected to do. He also knows that delayed obedience is the exact same thing as disobedience. And so as soon as the master's out of there, like, he's off and running and investing everything that he has for the sake of the master. Church, like, that is the mission of God. That is the mission that he has given every single one of us who have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and call ourselves followers of Yahweh, followers of Jesus. That is the mission of God, that we would go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching people to observe everything that he has commanded us to do. Church, like that is the mission of God. We are to go in love, sharing the gospel with all who have not heard, and sticking with them until they are able to grow into maturity. It's why we do everything that we do here as a church. 
Like, it's why so many of you are involved over in Circle One. Like Circle One, this after-school program for the surrounding kids in our, in our neighborhood and stuff. Like, like, they're out there loving them and engaging with these students, sharing the gospel with those who have never heard, sitting with them, teaching them, building up, and, and helping them to grow into maturity. It's why we do the food pantry over there, praying with people, helping supply physical needs, loving them and meeting them where they are, but sharing the gospel, loving them, helping them get, 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 uh, get into a place where they can grow in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, it's why we do a kids' beach club and go into public schools and we share the gospel with kids that are there. It's why we do polished and outreach to young professional women. We go into their workplaces, into the central area and stuff, and we gather people and we speak their language so that they would understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, reconnect with the local church body, grow up in the maturity in him. Church, it's why we do everything that we do. It's the whole point of this parable. It's what he's getting at here. Jesus is the master who's going away. We're the servants in the story. Anyone who's a disciple of Jesus Christ, including the original 12 and the original audience right here, and the talents are the spiritual gifts. They're the skills, the abilities, uh, the wealth, the job, the people, the privilege, and maybe even the baggage which God has delivered you from at some point in the past, which he may now want to redeem, that you may use, that he has entrusted to your care that you can use for the furtherance of the gospel to make disciples all around the world. And so, yeah, church, don't get confused here. We are absolutely saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I, I mean, Scripture is clear, but we are saved by God's grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is not a work. It is not anything that you and I can do so that none of us are able to boast. Nevertheless, the very next verse Paul talks about in Ephesians 2.10 is this. Make no mistake, he says, we are his workmanship. We, we are Christ's handiwork. We've been thought about. We have been intentionally designed. We've been uniquely wired and uniquely made. We've been created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to walk in. So make no mistake that that's why we have been created and given everything that we've been given. So five-talent guy, he's sitting here kind of, he, he's, he's understanding. I've just been given a, a wealth of resources here. And he's pumped about it. Like he knows everything that he's been given. And so he runs and he is out there and he's immediately investing it in the kingdom of heaven. And things are coming back. He's kind of like Peter in Acts chapter two, as soon as the church is beginning. I mean, you guys remember the story, right? Like Peter was that disciple that had the, the privilege of being in Jesus's inner circle, seeing Jesus up close, listening to him, seeing the miraculous healings, participating in miraculous healings. He was there abandoning Jesus at the cross. He saw Jesus resurrected, was brought back to restoration. I mean, there in, in, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, Jesus tells him, and he says, okay, I know that you've seen me alive now. Like, can you imagine seeing Jesus walk out of the tomb? Like, can you imagine how eager you would be? Like, there would be no question about evangelism there if we actually believe that he walked out of that tomb alive. That's an Easter sermon waiting to come, right? Okay, but, but like, that's what's taking place. And he says, I know you want to run. I know you want to go tell everybody, but you need to wait here until the Holy Spirit comes because when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to give you the dunamis, He's going to give you the power. He's going to give you the ability to go and do everything that I want you to do so that you're actually going to be effective in those things. And so the disciples and the apostles are sitting around in this upper room. They're praying. They're waiting on the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, Pentecost comes, which the Jews, they're all celebrating at the time. So Jews from all around the world are coming in. They're speaking different languages. The Holy Spirit comes. All of a sudden, they're speaking in tongues. They're able to understand each other. It's this crazy, weird, miraculous thing. And all of a sudden, Peter, this five-talent Peter, stands up. And he just starts preaching, and it's a very simple message. And he starts saying things like, this Jesus, you remember the guy that you crucified? You, the, the guy that you thought was deserving of death? Yeah, 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 he was actually the son of God, and he's actually now alive. And all of a sudden, like, the Spirit just anoints this message, and, and it says that there's 3,000 people added 
to their number that day in the kingdom of heaven. Church, it's what five talent people do. They recognize the wealth of resources that God has given to them. You've given me these experiences with Jesus. You've given me this time with him. You've given me this, this voice, this ability to preach his word. You've given, been giving me these different things around here. Like that's what you do when you recognize that everything you have is not actually mine, but it's actually been entrusted to me by the master for a certain purpose, for his mission and for his thing to be, for his name to be glorified. Verse 17, two-talent guy does the exact same thing. Check this out. It says two-talent guy immediately goes back out. He does the same thing, and he gains two more. In other words, like two-talent guy is not sitting there comparing himself to five-talent guy going, well, what's up, what's up with that? Why didn't I get what that guy got? Like two-talent guy is not sitting there boasting over one-talent guy going, ha got twice as much as you did. Like two-talent guy is not complaining about the fact that he may not have these things, probably because two-talent guys doesn't even care about the number of different things that are there, probably because that's not the point of this parable to try to figure out, hey, am I a one-talenter? Am I a two-talent guy? Am I a five-talent guy? Not the point of this parable. Two-talent guy, the only thing that he knows is that he has been entrusted with a wealth of resources here. And he has been entrusted uh, with those certain things for the glory of the master's name. And so he starts investing and does the exact same thing, and he gets two more uh, in return. And then comes verse 18. Now, verse 18 is the turning point of this entire parable. And this is the, par this is the point where we're going to be reading this. Is this is where it's going to start pushing on us, okay? And I just want to just give you a little bit of a warning. This is where it starts to get a little bit personal. It says, the man who had one bag, he went off and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. Okay, so it's not that one talent guy tried really hard. So it, it's not that he went out there and he tried to invest it and he just, you know what, he never took that persuasion class in college. It wasn't very persuasive. It didn't re really work too well. He tried really, really hard and he just butchered it and just wasn't very good at it. Like it wasn't that. It wasn't the one talent guy. Um, he, it's not that he stole it or wasted it away, kind of like the prodigal son we talked about a few weeks ago. I mean, it's not any of that. It's just that the one talent guy got scared. One talent guy wanted to play it safe. He didn't want to take the risk that he knew was expected of him to take. And so he went into a field and he dug a hole and he buried what he had been given and put it in the ground. And the reason that I say that this is where it's going to get really, really personal is because I believe that what Jesus is describing right here in this scene is exactly the state of the American church today. It's men and women who have literally been given everything. We've been given relative health. We've been given wealth. We've been given prosperity. We've been given freedom. Most people around the world don't have the freedoms that we have. We've been given education. We've been given relative safety. We've been given the gospel front and center in our country uh, for well over 250 years. It has been out there. There are churches on every single street corner. Uh, there's biblical gospel-oriented preaching on every single TV, not every TV show, on some TV shows, on, uh, on, on computer, on every single podcast. And, and still, we would rather sit at home and be entertained than invest our lives in the mission of God. I mean, you ask the average person today what it is that they dreamt about for their life when they were a kid. Or you ask a parent, what is it that you dream about for your own children today? And we're going to say something to the effect of, well, I hope and pray that they, they go to a good school. I pray that they get a great job. Uh, I hope they make a ton of money and they ascend in that thing. And I hope that they're able to let me retire at some point in time. And um, I hope that they do really well and have, have a nice house with a white picket fence and two and a half kids. And those two and a half kids, they go to church. They're good moral kids. 
that kind of a deal. And I hope and pray that we're able to retire early and then go get a beach house somewhere and just kind of sit on the beach drinking margaritas for the rest of our days until Jesus takes us home. I mean, it's the American dream, isn't it? That we can do whatever it is that we want to do. That we can become whoever it is we want to become. It's mine. This is my life. It's, it, these are my gifts. These are my resources. These are my decisions to be making right here, right? And, and you need to hear me here because what I'm not saying is that any of those things in and of themselves are wrong. What we're not saying is that it's wrong, that the good the educations, the great jobs, the money, the wealth, and things of that nature. What we are saying is that any dreams and aspirations that have nothing to do with the reason you were created will ultimately end up in a life that's being wasted. It's exactly what Jesus is saying right here. So church, like, you tell me like, is this not the state of American Christianity today? I mean, you know the stats, right? I mean, still, still in America today, we're still saying about 65% of the country is acknowledging faith in God. We believe that we're Christians. We're identifying as Christians, right? As long as I identify with it, then that must be true. So 65% are saying, hey, we're Christians here. Less than 5% have actually shared their faith in the past year. Little disparity, right? Of those who identify as a Christian, only 20% I've ever said, hey, I've, I've ever shared my faith in the entirety of my life. I've been a believer for 40, 50 years. I've never, only 20% are saying I've ever shared my faith. Only 5% have ever led anyone effectively to the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I was reading an, art, uh, reading an article this past week. Uh, millennials today, about 50% of millennials today are saying that it's morally wrong for someone to go and to share their faith with someone else. Right? It's like those are, you don't want to impose on somebody else's beliefs. It's morally wrong to do what Jesus has commanded us to do. Okay? Now, the irony is that the other 50% that are saying, you know what, I don't believe that it's wrong, they're more willing to engage in the mission of God than any generation before them. There's a massive disparity going on right there, too. 37% of those who profess faith in Jesus Christ have never been on a mission trip, even local ones here inside the United States, even inside their city. Any kind of an experience where they go into a different culture to engage that culture um, for the sake of the gospel to, to one degree or another. 37% have ever done that. 25%, only 25% have actually read their Bible outside of church at least once a week. Only 29% actually give financially toward those who are participating in the Great Commission. You know what it says about committed church membership. It used to be committed church members were about 48 out of 52 times a year, which is about 92% of the time. Committed church members are somewhere between 22, 27 um, times out of 52 weeks out of the year today. I mean, you tell me, church, what are we talking about right here? Like, is this not the state of the American church today? I mean, let, and let, me, let me get a little bit more personal because I said, like, the, the problem with this parable is you can't read this parable and assume it's talking about everybody else. Like, Jesus doesn't give us that freedom to sit there and be like, those people need to get their act together. Like, the word of God is read in this, in this spirit where we say, we have to ask this question, which guy am I here? Which girl am I here in this passage? Am I the five talent who's faithful? Am I the two talent who's faithful? Am I the one talent who's buried everything that God has given to me because I'm clutching it in my grasp saying, this is mine. Don't you dare touch what I have. I mean, that's what this parable is making us wrestle with. Like, where are you in this story, church? I mean, this is the tragic story of a wasted life. I'll never forget a little while ago, I came across an old acquaintance from, from uh, DTS and I'll never forget this guy, one of the most gifted, powerful preachers I'd heard during my entire time there. 
We, we had a preaching class together. And I remember sitting in this sermon going to, I was like weeping in worship during this sermon. I was about to come down there, altar call, get saved again. It was just one of these, uh, not really, that's bad theology, you don't get saved again. But like, like that's how powerful it was. Like this joker is preaching in class. We're supposed to be grading them and I'm just weeping going, Jesus, I love you, right? Like just that kind of anointing and that kind of a power. And I ran into him a little while ago. I was like, brother, what are you up to, man? He's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, that, and the other. It, it, it was something like insurance. Ins- don't hear me. This isn't an attack on insurance. He was like, I'm doing insurance. I was like, You're, what are you doing? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I was like, why aren't, you, why aren't you preaching somewhere? Why aren't you? You've got this voice. Like, I've never seen anything like it before. He's like, do you know how hard it is to preach every week? I'm like, yeah, I do. I, I've done this. <laughs> I know what we're talking about here. He's like, dude, that was just, he's like, that was really tough. I got really anxious, and he's like, it was kind of st- terrifying standing up in front of people and stuff like that. He's like, I just wanted to weep. Church, why do you think someone's been gifted with a voice like that? Why do you think that the creator would give someone that kind of education, that kind of life, that kind of voice, that kind of authority, that kind of leadership ability, if it's not to be used for his purposes and for his glory? Like what we're seeing is a tragic story of a wasted life. Someone who's sitting there kind of going, look at everything that I have. This is mine. This is all about me. Instead of recognizing that everything that I have has been given to me by God. It has been entrusted to my care for his purposes and for his glory. Church, like where are you in this story right here? I I mean, and look, that was just a, a... you need to understand, like, I'm not just talking about vocational ministry right here. Like, that was an example about a preacher right there. I mean, it's not what this is just talking about. Like, some of you people have, have incredible five-talent gifts to be used in business realms and things of that nature. And I know this. Like, some of you guys have this ability to go and invest your time and talents and everything, your intelligence and stuff. And whatever you do, you touch it and it turns to gold. You create these incredible opportunities. Like, I mean, wh- how are you using these gifts for the glory of God? I remember this past week, I heard this story of these, these business people in town. They came together, and there was about four or five of them, something like that. And they came together in response to the, to the abortion mandate in, in New York. They came together, and they're like, hey, what are we going to do about this whole thing? And so these five business people come together. They pull together their resources. They reach out to their networks. They raise $500 million to create a nonprofit Christian organization that is going uh, to have a gospel-centered approach to addressing um, anybody who's dealing with abortion and, and life issues and things of that nature. Church, I mean, that, like, they're, they're looking at these things going, look, everything that I have right here, this enormous amount of wealth, all of these gifts and talents up here, my ability to lead, my ability to create structures and organization, all of these different things, they are not mine. They are actually his, and they have been entrusted to me for the mission of God. And they're going, what do you want me to do? What risk do you want me to take for the sake and for the glory of your name? And they're coming together and saying, this isn't mine anyway. Church, you know how we know it's not ours? You know what the death rate in America is today? It's 100%. <laughs> like, none of us are escaping that. And like, every single bit of it is staying behind. When we are standing before our maker, none of it is coming with us. Like, that's how we know none of it is, is it's not ours. And these five-talent businessmen are coming together going, look, it's not mine. Lord, it's yours. What do you want us to do with it? And it's not just five-talent people. Look, we're not talking about just preaching people. We're not talking about millionaires. We're talking about normal people every single day just sitting there going, Lord, what is it that you've given to me, and how can I use it for your glory? I remember sitting in a life group one time, one of the funniest stories. I mean, it was just normal, average day. I mean, every, every single one of us are just simple people. We're sitting in this life group one time, 
And the guy comes to, comes to our group. He hasn't talked much all year long. He doesn't, he's just not a talker. And so he comes in. He's like, hey, I need you guys to pray for me. Um, I'm starting an orphanage in Africa, and uh, I'm going to need a lot of help with that. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Uh, the Joker was working for the Postal Service, okay? And uh, he didn't speak at all in our small group and stuff. And all of a sudden, he's, getting, he's sitting there kind of going, he's like, yeah, I've got in-laws that, that are missionaries over in Africa. There's a huge orphan crisis over there. He's got a brilliant brain with systems and organizations and things of that nature. And he's like, yeah, I think God's calling me to start an orphanage. And so, yeah, I'm going to quit my job, and, and that's what we're going to do. He did it. He did it. I'm not kidding you. Less than a year later, uh, that thing is under construction, and he's built the organization in Africa, going out there, just going and doing it. Normal, average day, Joe, I promise you. Like, we are looking at this thing, and he's just sitting there going, look, everything that you've given me, this mind, this intelligence, this, the, all the opportunities you have, God, it's not mine, it's yours. What do you want me to do with it? And listen, I'm not just talking about preaching or millionaires or building orphanages here. I look around the church and I'm kind of going, look, God, thank you because there are so many people here. It doesn't matter how many talents that you've been given. You've been faithful over and over and over and over again. There are men and women serving in Circle One and in the food pantry all the time that have given up their retirement years saying, you know what, I'm going to think differently about my retirement and I'm investing in my life into the kingdom of heaven. And I'm serving these students over there. And I'm praying with people that can't afford their next meal. And I'm sharing the gospel. And I'm serving over to our children's ministry to make sure that those kids are going to come to the fullness of understanding of Jesus Christ. That they are going to know the joy of walking with him for a lifetime. And there are people all around this room that are faithfully investing everything that's been entrusted to you for the kingdom of God. I'm looking around at different people with giant platforms that are building orphanages, and I'm looking at people that are looking there and saying, you know what, I am older in my years, but guess what, I'm never giving up because that faithful call that God has called all of us to, you don't ever retire from faithfulness, church. You don't ever retire from faithfulness. We don't. We, do, we, we never get over faithfulness. And they're sitting there going, God, you've given me this understanding of the gospel. You've given me time. I heard a beautiful story this past week. Somebody came to faith in our church as an adult uh, last week. Uh, this person, we, we reached out to him to follow up, and we're like, hey, we want to get you plugged in, all these different kinds of things. And he's like, oh, yeah, so-and-so from the church, they already called me and agreed to start meeting with me on a weekly basis to start discipling me. Like, <laughs> No program, no person on staff, person in the church, retired, giving up of his time, saying, you know what, it's all about you. This time you've given me. The paycheck that I have to sustain my life on, it's not about me. This isn't mine. It's not mine. It's all yours, God. What would you have me do with what you've given to me? Some of us are still looking around, and you've got fists clenched, kind of going, yeah, that's great for them, but this, you don't understand. Like, this is mine. My money, this is my money. I worked hard for this. That was my raise. It's my power. It's my glory on that platform. This is my family. This is my comfort you're talking about. Don't you dare touch those things. This is a tragic story of a wasted life. Look at 19, church. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Church, this is happening. After a long time passed, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Church, don't miss this. This conversation is happening. Christ is returning. There is going to be a time when you stand before him. And 
and he, there, there's going to be a settling of accounts of sorts, whatever that looks like that goes on. And this is where it gets difficult for us. We, we gloss through this. We glance past it so quickly so many times because we think of the judgment seat of God, this, this time in eternity when we stand before his throne and, and we have this conversation. We say, okay, great. Like I'm covered in the blood of the lamb. Like I am, I am saved by God's grace, which you absolutely are. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as a substitute for your sins. You've come to him in faith. You've been given grace. You've been washed completely clean. You've been made righteous and holy, not because you are, but because Christ is. And so you will stand before God, and this conversation will ensue. And there will be a settling of accounts, and you'll sit there and you'll say, I am covered in the blood of the Lamb, God. Be gracious on my soul. And that will be clear. And he will say, you have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Fantastic, wonderful. But I gave you all these different talents. Like there's a settling of accounts that still takes place. And what he's about to talk about here is that there's, there's rewards that are given to you and to me based somehow on what we do with what he's given to us. And church, that conversation's happening. I gave you five talents. What, what, what do we have to show for it? Like I gave you a voice and a platform. What are you doing with it? I gave you two. What are, I gave you one talent. Like what, what's this whole thing? What's it going to be? I mean, this conversation's happening, church, and don't move past it. And so five-talent guy is looking. He knows that the master's coming back again. Five-talent guy is pumped. He loves the master because it's like, you ever had your boss go out of town for a month, and that was the month you just killed it at work, had the great, you landed the, the, the massive account? Like, you're pumped to have the boss come back. Hey, boss, check out what happened this past month. You know who's hiding from the boss? One-talent guy that was playing video games all day long. And so He's pumped. Five-talent guy says, Master, check this out. You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many other things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And then the man with two bags of gold also came, and he said, Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Church, it is the exact same response. It does not matter if you've been given five talents. It does not matter if you've been given two talents. It does not matter if you've been given one talent. It is the exact same reward because he's not judging you based on quantity. He is seeing whether or not you are faithful with what you've been entrusted with. It is the exact same response here, which means that you and I have no business comparing ourselves to other people. We don't need to get jealous of other people's um, excess and things of that nature. None of that even matters. All we are doing is simply saying, okay, God, here's what you've given to me. Here's what you've given to me. God, may I be found faithful in your sight with this. First two guys are pumped. And of course, now comes verse 24. One talent guy shows up. And he says this, he says, Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. Church, is that true? Is it true that the master was hard and, and just not fair? Like he's sowing where he hasn't scattered seed. The dude passed out bags of gold, okay? Can we acknowledge that? He passed out bags of gold. And he simply said, like, your responsibility is to simply be a good steward with what you've been given. Nevertheless, it's exactly how this guy thinks. And so it says in 25, I was afraid. I was afraid. I was terrified of who you are, so I was afraid to take that risk you called me to take. And so I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, 
here's what belongs to you. Here it is, it's right back. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Not because of something wicked and lazy he had actually done, but because of something that he simply chose not to do. You knew, sarcastically here, check this out. You knew I harvest where I have not sown and you gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's heavy, right? Church, what's he talking about here? Right, there's, there's two options, right? He could be talking about salvation. That's one potential option right here. In which case, the one talent guy's clear misunderstanding of the heart of the master uh, presumably leads us to believe that he did not actually know the master, in which case salvifically he would be cast off into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Could be talking about eternal rewards here, which seems to be the context of this passage right here. In which case, those who have been faithful with a little bit right now will be given more reward later on in eternal, eternal rewards, and also more opportunities to be faithful right here on earth. I do believe it is a both and kind of a thing going on here in this thing. While one talent people who have buried what, have been in, what has been entrusted to them, even what they have will ultimately lose it and have no reward in the end. Church, either way, don't miss the point of what Jesus is saying right here. Don't miss the point. The entire parable is about a guy who has wasted his life simply because he was too afraid to take a risk and do what he was called to do. It's why the most repeated command in Scripture is be not afraid. Fear not. Don't let fear get the best of you. Don't live in fear. Be not afraid. 366 times it is repeated from beginning to end in Scripture because every single move of God that he wants to do in and through you will require that you walk by faith and you take a risk. It is the nature of taking a risk. It's what risk is. It is an act of faith. Uh, it is a step of faith that could cost you a little bit right now or reward you greatly later on. That's what it is. Church, the entirety of Scripture is the story of men and women who have walked by faith, that have taken giant risks, and in doing so, the Spirit of God blessed and anointed what they did and blew it up magnificently. Noah, I mean, this entire story is taking risks. It is all, the entire Hebrews 11 chapter right there. Can you imagine being Noah at that time? The only person, the only family on the earth that was faithful to God, believed in him, was walking with him. And in the middle of that place, God comes and says, okay, I want you to spend the next six of your life building a giant boat for a flood that the world's never even seen. Can you imagine going out in faith, doing exactly that and being wrong about it? <laughs> like, oh, looks like it didn't rain. All right, Troy, where were you on that one? I, 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 I mean, it looks like it didn't rain here. Uh, oopsie daisy, right? Like a massive, massive, massive risk and in doing so. Not only is the family saved, but God restarts his plan of salvation here in the world. Abraham, he got up and he packed up his entire family to go to a land that he didn't even know where it was at that point in time, walking by faith. David was a 15-year-old Justin Bieber when he was asked to fight like Goliath, who made Shaq look like a tiny infant. 
right? I mean, Esther pleaded with the king for the lives of her people while putting her own life at risk. Paul was constantly being persecuted and imprisoned for his faith. And of course, the very reason that we're here worshiping today is because God used a bunch of normal people in the first century, men and women, one talent, two talent, five talent people filled with the Holy Spirit to continue going by faith, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, making disciples that made disciples that made disciples that made disciples. And they're on down the line to the point that those disciples came over here to America, came over here to Dallas, planted a church, and we have the privilege of worshiping here today because of what God was doing through one talent, two talent, five talent people simply saying, I am available to the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in and through me when everything that I've been entrusted with has been offered back to God saying, I will give it all to you because it's all yours anyway. And I just feel like someone needs to hear this morning, do not, do not, do not, do not ever waste your life simply because you're not willing to take that risk that he is calling you to take. I love the way that my friend Betsy Nichols puts this. She goes, I know that it's terrifying, but just do it afraid. Just do it afraid. Every single move of God that he wants to do through you will require that you walk by faith and you take a risk. So here's what I want to do. I want to leave you with two questions that I've been wrestling with a lot this past week. I've been doing some writing out, and I want to invite you to write these down or take a picture Tonight, maybe at your small group, you can talk about some of these things with your spouse, maybe your family, roommates, whoever it may be. I want to invite you to take these questions, to write them out, and to um, have a conversation with them. But number one is this. Do you know what it is specifically that you have been entrusted with? Are you aware? Or do you think so macro level that you're not even paying attention to the details of the things that God has given you and entrusted in your life? And, and I wrote out a few things there because I, I made a number of different lists. I made one list that was all about my spiritual gifts. Right? These are the things that God has uniquely given to me and wired with me that he wants to do with you. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? If not, we would love to help you with that. Uh, your life group can help you with that. There's assessments that are online that can help you with that. You need to be discerned in the context of community of people that know you. But do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Do you know what your skills and your talents are? Your intelligence, like how much school have you gone through? Incredible privilege to be given so much opportunity to go to school like, uh, like a lot of us have. The people that are in your life, like, I want you to write those names out, your spouse, your kids, your best friend, your roommate, your parents, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, your coworkers, your neighbors, the people that are in your life group, people that are around you that you've yet to meet. Like, who are the people that, that God has put around you and entrusted you with on a daily basis? Your finances, your money, your wealth. Are they being invested in the kingdom of God? Or are they yours? The platforms that you have. And I even put there past baggage. I don't want to miss this, miss this one. Maybe it's the past baggage, things that God has delivered you from, that God may now want to use you to help someone who's been in the exact same predicament that you were. I mean, whatever that thing may be, don't move past the opportunity that God may want to redeem that thing and use you in someone else's life going through the exact same thing. Number two, what risk is he willing, is he telling you to take that you may have been resisting for a really long time. A few realms here, evangelism. Who do you need to share the gospel with that you've just avoided because you're afraid? Discipleship, who do you need to ask? Who do you need to invite and say, you know what, or who do I need to ask for help in? Maybe it's serving. Where do I need to start serving in the church, the community, generous giving, right? Is God calling me to give so much more of what I have away? A couple objections right here. Some people are gonna be sitting there going, yeah, but Aaron, I don't think you understand. I've wasted the first 50, 60, 70 years of my life. 
you need to hear me say that it is never, ever, ever, ever too late to start being faithful. Right? Faithfulness does not have a time stamp on it. It is never, ever, ever too late. Some of you are sitting here kind of going, that's great. I wish I would have heard that when I was young. That's great, but I've wasted the first 50, 60, 70, 80 years of my life. Church, like you're going to have that conversation with the Father one day. And you know what a legitimate conversation is? God, I'm covered by your grace. I'm covered by your blood. And for the first 60, 70 years of my life, I wasted away every gift and talent, uh, every single resource that you've given to me in my life. But on February 19th, 2019, you got a hold of my affections. And from that day forward, I started to be faithful with everything that you've given to me in my life. It's a legit conversation to have. Some of us are sitting there kind of going, yeah, well, I'm not even a one-talent person. <laughs> like, I've been given nothing. I get that some people, you got all these crazy gifts and abilities and this, that, and the other. I'm not even a one-talent person. And you need to hear that God doesn't need your quantity. He needs your heart. He needs your availability. He is exceptional at doing so much with very, very little. And if you will take that little and simply say, here's the little that I have. I know that you're big and I know that you're good. And I know that your power goes above and beyond anything that I can imagine, so I'm offering it over to you. Church, may it be said of us, well done, my good and faithful servant.